When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm here with, I guess, a rose between two Corys. We have Corey Geiger um, with, you know, who does our, obviously, our Penn State coverage. And I'm going to introduce a new Corey to DK Pittsburgh sports. Corey, go ahead and tell us who you are, why you're here and why you're on a, we are podcast, because I think you're the new pit guy. Yeah. What's going on here. I mean, the pit hasn't officially moved to the big 10 by any means. So don't be alarmed folks. Uh, Yes, this is, I am, he is Corey Christen entering the chat, entering the building, entering the DMS with the new pod and a new network. Glad to be a part of it, boys. Thanks for having me. And, you know, get looking forward to getting the ball rolling with pit coverage. We already did that with Charlotte and uh, obviously with a very interesting season coming up too. So uh, thanks for having me on guys. Appreciate it. Well, he's here because Pat Narduzzi said some crazy shit this past week. So uh, let's, let's talk get about to that. it. That's going to be fun. And it was about the big 10. Surely everybody's heard the comment after, after they lost to Michigan state, uh, Narduzzi says in the, in the podcast, uh, about uh, quote, if that was one of the best Big Ten teams last year, then let's go to the Big Ten and win it every year. To I don't want to. I don't want to hear Penn about State this. and did look like one of the better teams just because Penn State was so bad. Well, but here's the thing: this is what we're going to talk about. Where would Pitt really be if they were in the Big Ten? Not that Pitt is ever going to be in the Big Ten; that's never going to happen. But where would Pitt fit? Where would they finish in the Big Ten if they were in that league? You know, that's a good question, Corey, and. I don't know because obviously they'd have to, they, I would imagine they'd be in the same division of Ohio state pit uh, or Ohio state, Michigan state, Michigan, and Penn state. Um, luckily they'd probably play Rutgers in uh, Maryland, but I, ugh, I, I just don't know. I mean, if they're playing at Beaver stadium, I don't think they're going to win. Now last year, I think with Kenny Pickett, it would have been a hell of a lot more competitive than it, than it has been in the past. But again, you know, going to Ohio state going to the big house or going to Michigan state, you know, that's not an easy task for anybody. And Penn state was sure to attest for that. Now you're not going to put Pitt in the big 10 West. I mean, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, Purdue, Wisconsin, geographically doesn't make much sense. So if you put them in the East, realistically, you're looking at those powers, Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan, Michigan state, you have to put Pitt in that conversation, but do you put them ahead of one school over another. I don't put them ahead of Ohio State. I don't put them ahead of Michigan this year. You can make the argument with Penn State. You can make the argument 
um, with Michigan State, but you're talking out. You're you're talking about what third place, even in that division alone. And then obviously you got to factor in, you know, the other side getting to the championship game, whatnot. Which, by the way, in the ACC, we're uh, doing a different format here pretty soon, which was heavily addressed at uh, media kickoff. But you have to look at that at a surface level. Where are they going to finish in their own division before you can even talk about? a conference championship uh, in a uh, hypothetical situation there. Here's the issue with Pitt. In any given year, Pitt could beat maybe just about anybody. We've had this discussion for decades with the Pitt-Penn State discussion, and we're going to talk more about that in the second hour or second segment. But, look, this is not about football. This is not necessarily about a given year. This is how would you fit for the long haul. Pitt's the fifth best team, the fifth best program in that division. At best, at, at best, there's no way the Pitt program is, is better than Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, or even Michigan State. So that's why this notion of what Narduzzi said, let's go to the Big Ten and win it every year, they could finish fifth. Maryland might be better than, than Pitt in a lot of years. So, But there will be years where Pitt could beat a Penn State. In 2016, Pitt kept Penn State out of the college football playoff by beating them. Uh, but that's his own. That's Narduzzi's only win against a Big Ten team. So that's why the, the the comment that he made was just so ludicrous because Pitt has one good year. And yes, I get that he wants to stick up for his program and for the, and for the ACC. But you can't make that comment after one good year when your other years, Pat Narduzzi, eight and five, eight and five, five and seven, seven and seven, eight and five, six and five. He would have been fired at Penn State had he had that kind of record over that period of time. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, you know, he lost to a directional Michigan last year. You know, Penn State's had bad losses over the course of their time, too, so they're just as guilty as anybody. But, again, you've got to go up against the gauntlet because that's just their division. You still have to play. I'm, I'm not going to mention Illinois because that's still a tough subject, and that game has, I don't think, ended yet um, for Penn State. But you're still going to have to go against teams like Wisconsin, against Minnesota and P.J. Fleck. Um, Nebraska, if they ever remember how to play football again, Iowa. So that's, and that's on the, that's the other, other side. And then here in a couple of years, you've got the, the uh, California school. So, you know, it, it's not, it wouldn't be an easy sled for Pitt, but could they compete? Absolutely. Is it probably a better Absolutely. fit than the ACC? In all honesty, in football, probably not, but for basketball, I think it's a hell of a lot better. Um, just for the fact that they're not going up against Pitt. North Carolina, um, NC State, or uh, I'm sorry, Duke, Carolina, and NC State. So that I think matters a lot here too, because we're talking about multiple sports. But for football, I think they're very much middle of the road. But they could have again one of those good years, just like they did last year when the stars align and, and Kenny Pickett does Kenny Pickett things. The three hottest topics at ACC kickoff this week were conference realignment, NIL, and transfer portal, which we'll talk about portal later on. When it came to talking about the conference realignment, Jim Phillips, the commissioner, he had to deflect a lot of stuff about it. And then it came down to the next uh, set of coaches that had to do the same thing. The next set of coaches had to do the same thing. It came ad nauseum throughout the whole week. And on Wednesday, Dabo Swinney had to deflect. He told me, you know, I asked him in the breakout session just about, you know, giving Pitt and giving Wake Forest and giving NC State some credit as football teams, not just about Clemson being the standard bearer and then everybody falling in line. Narduzzi reaffirmed it. It was reaffirmed all week 
by all of these schools. And of course, when Narduzzi's asked about playing Michigan State, doing it with the backup quarterback that got hurt early, doing it with the third string quarterback for the majority of the game. And of course, with all of this talk about, well, the ACC is dead last among power fives of revenue, which they are. The, even though they were tied this last academic year with the most championships, what's going on here? Like, why, why are we still con- configuring the ACC as the, the conference among power fives that's most likely to dissolve? All of these coaches, in a way, and I'm not defending by any means what Narduzzi or what anybody has said, a lot of these coaches are feeling like their backs are against the wall somewhat because of this. And that's the sense that I got from a lot of this. And it, go ahead. It's absolutely worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Any coach should defend his program and should defend his league. And I, I, I would completely understand that any ACC coach is probably sick and tired of hearing about the Big Ten and the SEC. But for Narduzzi specifically, this is what's fascinating to me about him. Why does he say the things that he says? He also ripped Mark Whipple, who had who was tremendously responsible for their success last year, and for Kenny and then Pickett. was proven wrong. <laughs> yeah, and then he says our, he, about Mark Whipple, our old offensive coordinator had no desire to run the ball. Everybody knew it. He was stubborn, and, and so why does Pat Narduzzi say these things? Um, and look, this is going to offend, offend some Pitt fans, but I'm going to be perfectly honest. Pat Narduzzi is a good football coach. He's a good football coach, but he has a massive inferiority complex. Pat Narduzzi played at Youngstown State and Rhode Island. He didn't play at a big major program. He spent the early part of his coaching career at Miami of Ohio, Rhode Island, Northern Illinois, Miami of Ohio, Cincinnati. You know what coaches who come through that ladder have? A chip on their shoulder. They're going to, they're going to have that mentality of, I'm going to prove to all the big boys that I can do this. Then he goes to Michigan State. Now, ever since Mike Hart called Michigan State little brother, Michigan State has kicked Michigan's ass. All right, that's the worst thing that Mike Hart in Michigan could have ever done. But still, Michigan State is, is kind of still looked at as little brother. And that's unfortunate for them. But Pat Narduzzi was there. Now Pat Narduzzi's at Pitt, which is the number four team in a pro town. You got the Steelers are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Then you got the, the Penguins are eight, nine, 10, 11. The Pirates are 12, 13, 14. Pitt's the 15th most important team. And, and, so what you have there is a coach whose entire background is having to constantly prove himself and he likes to end up talking a big big game probably because he maybe never feels like he gets the kind of notoriety that he wants to get right i think the chip on the shoulder is the biggest thing and and that and it's great to coach with that i mean to an extent you have to prove yourself and really that's the most success that the pit has had since dave wanstadt and, and this is the most stable that program has been since dave wanstadt um, was there because obviously, you know, when Paul Chris leaves, he's out, right? And and you have the revolving door that that's created, and then you bring in Narduzzi, and I think that's a good thing. You know, obviously stability is always good in, in, in football and in any sport, really, but when you're coaching with a chip on your shoulder and you have to prove yourself year in and year out, and, and that brings up to Whipple's comments. So he's trying to prove that it was his program, his team, that – did everything while Whipple ran the offense. That offense was pretty damn good. You had Jordan Addison, um, who's now at USC and might, and you know, that the NIL deal there, but, and you also had Kenny Pickett and Kenny Pickett at Pitt is a once in a generation talent. They haven't had anybody like that since Dan Marino. And when you're, you know, when, when you're that type of player, 
you better have a damn good year, regardless of who your offensive coordinator is, whether they want to run the ball or pass the football. Corey, what's your takeaway on why he does? Why would he criticize Mark Whipple? I think it's two things. Number one, I think there's still a little bit of bitter, bitterness towards the Big Ten, towards all of the discussion that's still going on about the conference realignment, what have you. I think there's still a little bit of that in there. And I think there's also a little bit of, let's be real, we don't know. We sitting in this call right now, we as the listeners listening, don't know who the starting quarterback is week one against West Virginia. So there's a little bit of unknown that he's kind of preaching about too, where we knew Kenny Pickett for how many years? There was stability at that position. So I'm going to start just with that and saying, when's the last time that a Pat Narduzzi-led team was on the favorite side of things? When's the last time a Pat Narduzzi team, going with the theme of you guys talking about with him having to consistently bat, uh, battle all of these different shortcomings, so to speak. And by the way, as a Youngstown State alum, let's cool it with the, you know, that's an FCS 90s powerhouse we're talking about, gentlemen. Let's be real here. I'm just, <laughs> so, but anyway, why does he do these things? You know what? In a way, maybe he does want to create some buzz around his program for reasons that you mentioned, because they are the 15th most important team, so you know, so speak, in the city of Pittsburgh. Maybe it is because now, even though his team just won a championship, all of the talk has gone around Clemson and why they couldn't. Right. Why is it that when he had Kenny Pickett, who first quarterback taken in the NFL draft, that means something, in my opinion. Yet Kenny Pickett, you have Jordan Addison, Bolitnikoff winner. You have an All-American defensive end. You have stars just a litany of stars that are coming back as well on that side you have a strong offensive line all of these pieces are in place and yet Pitt seems to not be getting the credit that they deserve now I will tag the caveat that maybe they aren't going to be the favorites of the ACC this year and I'm about to put my vote in later this week and that'll be you know talked about down the road about preseason awards and all that but there's something to say about consistently along with what you said Geiger about just consistently being counted out consistently being discounted consistently being devalued and quite frankly i think he's getting tired of sticking here about it yeah yeah and i who, who can blame him i mean really i i i would not blame somebody if you're working that hard it's just he likes he likes to talk and he's got to back it up for more than one year that's the thing the, the first time they won the coastal uh they finished seven and seven that year they did win the Coastal last year. They beat Clemson. They get all the credit in the world. But there are major question marks now without Pickett and Addison and Mark Whipple. And, and I mean, that, that he's, if they come out and they run their 10-3 and three or something like that, 11-2 and two or whatever this year, then, hey, we'll all give Kenny – we'll all give Pat Narduzzi a, a tremendous amount of credit. That's, that's true. Sorry, Jared, real quick. That is true, Corey. But having – Nick Patty versus Kedon Slovis. Who's it going to be? We still don't know. They might have an idea inside that building. We don't know for sure in the public eye. So for the sake of conversation, we'll leave it as a battle. They have tried at minimum. And Jordan Addison is a, is a freak athlete. He's a freak of nature. He's unbelievable. They brought in Kanate Mumfield from Akron, who I covered the Mac last year. And Mumfield is really good. I, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people this year with how talented he is. Bub means we learned that he's eligible to play this year after transferring over from Louisiana Tech. So at minimum, and they just had uh, their starting tight end, of course, be named to the Mackey Award watch list. So they have weapons on offense to supplement and to kind of make up for what Addison's leaving. 
But obviously, Kenny Pickett, you lose a guy like that, you have to figure out, and you've got a bottom line, get that call at the quarterback position right. If you pick slow, if Narduzzi picks Slovis and he comes out against West Virginia, throws two picks, all chaos is going to break out. If he picks Nick Patty and he throws two picks against West Virginia, all chaos is going to break out. So there's a lot more than just replacing those two players. There's a lot more to that formula, I think, that he's still trying to figure out in some ways. And they may not materialize over, you know, West Virginia and Tennessee. It may take till literally the, I can't believe I'm saying this, revenge game at Western Michigan to figure out. At Western Michigan revenge game is something I never thought I'd ever have to utter. But the best thing about this, though, is that we're talking about Pat Narduzzi. We're not talking about those things in the buildup to the backyard brawl, which is getting the game day treatment. You know, it, it's one of the premier rivalry games on this coast. And, and we're talking about Pat Narduzzi and just some of the outlandish stuff that he says. And I think that also matters, too, because, listen, we want to talk about the quarterbacks. But right now, it's so important to talk about some of the stuff that he says because it's just so crazy. But what's not crazy is we still have two more segments to talk about. We're going to talk about how Pitt and Penn State, uh, why that all matters and why still why Corey is, well, the Corys are here when we come back on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the We Are Podcast and DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I bet at this point you're wondering, why are we talking to a Pitt guy? Uh, if you're a Penn State fan, well, you care about Pitt more than you'll ever care to mention. So let's talk more about Pitt and Penn State and why this all matters. Because it's so oddly fascinating that two schools don't regularly play. They did for a little bit, the Keystone Classic, which was great, I think, for the state or for the Commonwealth for that matter. But we are so, you know, we're so used to Pitt and Penn State fans babbling so much on message boards and in, in person and whatever, da-da-da-da-da, you know, and they don't play on the field often. So, so new Corey, we're going to go with new Corey and old Corey for right now. Um, new Corey, you're new to this. So what are your first impressions of the Pitt-Penn State rivalry that doesn't happen on the field? Well, I'm not as new to this in the sense of, being aware of it as you might think i mean i grew up in the youngstown area so obviously the a little fighting northwest of Pittsburgh. The, the former fighting vopolinis they right. moved on it's been a while and he's goodness, on like was three that. schools since i think yeah that, that was a flop i'll just put it at that goodness i covered those teams and that was so exciting getting to the national championship and then everything just kind of went kaput um but a Youngstown guy, I got to experience a lot of different lifebloods of sports fans. Obviously, the dominant factor there is Browns versus Steelers being the midpoint of those two. And you would you would speak to most residents of that area, and most of them would be Steeler fans, and they would be probably correct in being so given, I don't know, they win. And then you got your Ohio State-Penn State fans who kind of battle each other. But then there's a small niche and it's, it's not microscopic small. It's just that very comfortable, you know, cl- cluster, if you will, of pit fans that they just kind of wedge in and they find ways to do it. And they know exactly how to wedge into those kind of conversations. 
When it comes to the Pitt versus Penn State rivalry, and at least my knowledge of it and my experience of it, it's that Pitt fans know exactly where they have been within that rivalry. They know their boundaries. They know what they can talk about. They know what they can't talk about. And those that are listening probably have an idea of what I mean. So when it comes down to just those, I mean, that's kind of inherent with a lot of rivalries, but when it comes to those two themes, it's almost a territorial thing as well. You know, we're not talking about Big Ten championships. We're not talking about basketball, football, per se. You know, we're just kind of talking about territories in the state of Pennsylvania, which college program reigns supreme in the state of Pennsylvania. You know, I'm a Syracuse guy, so I'll go I'll go here and I'll say New York's college team is not based in New York City or Long Island or Queens or Manhattan. It is Syracuse University in central New York and not upstate central New York. So if you want to, if you're a big basketball fan in the state of New York for college basketball, you're traveling from New York City to Cuse to go to the uh, the newly minted JMA Wireless Dome. So again, I think it's just that territorial thing. I've experienced it with so many different things, and I see no different here. That's exactly how it feels to me. There's a lot. Pitt, of, listen, you, you hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me, I got to jump in on this. Pitt travels to Western Michigan this year. That's what we're talking about here, okay? Pitt travels to Western Michigan. Pitt has been to Buffalo twice since 09, okay? That's the Pitt-Penn State rivalry and, and all the shit talk right there. In any given year, Pitt can beat Penn State. It's not even about the football game. It is about the class system and where you are in college football. Do you know when Penn State will travel to Western Michigan? Never. When hell freezes over 50 million times. Do you know when Penn State will travel to Buffalo? Never. And so that is, that is why Pitt fans and Penn State fans will do battle a good bit. Because Penn State fans absolutely look down on Pitt. Let's be honest here. Penn State fans unequivocally look down on Pitt as a program. Now, that's not necessarily to say that Penn State fans don't understand that Pitt could beat them. Penn, again, I'll reiterate, Pitt kept Penn State out of the college football playoff in 2016. But the notion that Pitt can't sell out its stadium unless they get Notre Dame there, Penn, Penn State fans will rub that in. I, I've joked for years, us three and eight dudes we pick up at Walmart, if we go play at Beaver Stadium, Penn State's going to have 100,000 people there. That's what we're talking about here. That's why... There's so much shit talk between Pitt and Penn State. And I'm look, folks, I'm not putting down Pitt. I'm not. I'm saying that competitively speaking, Pitt can beat Penn State. But it's not about that. It's about size. It's about money. It's about brand. It's about the, the, your position in the sport. That's why there's, there's always a lot of good uh, back and forth between the two fan bases. Right. And I think it, and it all matters, right? Everybody talks about the Penn State atmosphere, the whiteouts. And you know, the two games that Penn State's played at Pitt, you know, those in that one game was a monsoon fest and the stadium was still packed. So Penn State has that traveling brand. And I think with some sustained success, Pitt could get to that. But the issue is, like Corey's mentioned, uh, they are not the top team in the city uh, and they won't ever be. They're, it's a professional city and they're playing in a professional stadium 
a God bless you stadium. I mean, Akris, your stadium or, uh, or whatever. <laughs> and, and let's talk about capacity here, right? Penn state's playing in front of James Franklin's 110,000 family reunion, right? Well, Pitt, you know, if they fill Heinz field or Akris, your stadium, I'm sorry. I'm never, I, it, it will always be Heinz field to me. Um, but it, it's, you know, there it's 68,000 is the capacity there. And that puts them middle of the road in the big 10 that puts them at eight right behind Kinnick stadium in Iowa city that has 69,250. So, you know, right there, I mean, Pitt is again, middle of the road. And it's just one of those things where Pitt's got to, you know, Pitt's got to take that next step to that upper echelon of, you know, of, of brand and brand recognition and fandom, you know, that, that Penn state and teams in the big 10 always have. And, you know, back in the big East days, yeah, I would say Pitt was, you know, was, was great as far as that went. But since they've been in the ACC and since they've gone through some of that turnover uh, with the coaching staff and, and really just the lack of success on the field up until of late, um, it, it's, it's got to keep getting better and keep building on years like they had last year. And when it starts to snowball, that's a really great situation for, for Pitt and everybody involved. And by the way, next year, Pitt's non-conference as of right now, Cincinnati at West Virginia and Notre Dame. So that non-conference is going to heat up in 23. But, you know, this isn't exactly a situation. You know, Pitt's not obviously paying to go play at Western Michigan either. So, you know, they're not losing any money on this kind of deal. It's going to not be the most attractive thing in the world if it comes down to college football playoff. Again, we're, we're saying Pitt could beat anybody, which could be the case it's not an attractive situation to say, well, one of their major wins of the season on the road is Kalamazoo, Michigan. And then points to anybody that could put that on a map without having to be directed at it. I mean, it's in the Western part of the state hint, but look, bottom line is this sometimes in college football, you have to find quirky and weird ways to fill your schedule. This is what's happening here. This isn't a, Pitt and Western Michigan thought of this methodically eight years ago, nine years ago, 10 years ago. This is just one of those things that happened. And you know what? If anything, this is going to be kind of good for both teams because Western Michigan gets the host of an ACC team. And now Pitt has actual real stakes on this game. I can't believe I'm saying this. Hang on. Though. Western I gotta, Michigan I gotta jump this year. in here. The point I'm trying to make is, Penn State would never have to play them. Ohio State, oh, no. Clemson right. would never have to play them. Michigan would never have to play. That's the point I'm trying to make. I'm not, again, I'm not belittling Pitt or what they're doing. I am talking about the class system of college football. You have five elite programs. You have Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma. That's your elite programs. Then you've got your next tier of 15 programs that Penn State is certainly in. And then you've got your tier after that, which Pitt is in. There is a class system in college football. And, and again, Penn State fans kind of love rubbing their nose in at Pitt. Pitt fans hate the fact that they think Penn State fans are arrogant, which they absolutely are. There's very few fan bases in this country more arrogant than Penn State. But the, the reason I brought up the schedule, again, I'm not knocking Pitt. I'm just saying that the, the top 20, 25 programs in this country would never have to do that with their schedule. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, like at Penn state, they can pick and choose who they want to come to Beaver stadium. They don't have to go, you know, on the road for a, against a mid major. And, and that's the way that they, that's the way that the system goes, you know, Pitt, how much money would they truly make if they hosted Western Michigan again, you know, college football is all about the Benjamins. It's all about the money, the haves and the have nots. So Pitt can right now where their, where their program is at can afford, 
to go somewhere else and play at Western Michigan because in all honesty, they're probably making just as much money going and doing that with all the hotels and the travels and all that traveling that they would be if they hosted Western Michigan and had 5,000, 10,000 people in the stadium. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I want to get Corey's opinion on this is, we, we've talked about this on, on some previous podcasts, Corey. If, if we go the two super, super conference route, okay, whatever the number ends up being for however many teams are in the, 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 the top 40, 44, 48, whatever, where would that number have to be for Pitt to be included? Because I've, clearly if you've got two 20-team super conferences with the, ACC, with the SEC and the Big Ten, Pitt wouldn't be in those top – but if, if there is a professional college football league in 20 years, which I think there will be, if there's a professional top-tier level of college football, how deep does that have to be, in your opinion, for Pitt to be included in the party? So I'm thinking there's different parameters that could decide this. This is a great question. Because you have to consider a lot of things here. You have to consider location. You have to consider market size. You have to consider history. Correct. You have to consider a lot of things when, you, when you're plucking all of these different teams from different conferences as is to put into Super Leagues. Let's say they're what? If you're, if you're talking 40 teams, where are we talking? 40 teams, 50 teams, whatever it may be, you know, you're, you're going to put them easily. I'm, I'm trying to run down the list of, would they be top, okay, let's say 120. Of course they would. But for the sake of conversation, would they be top 110? Of course they would. I'm going down to like top 50, yes. Top 40, I think no. you can make a case that, yes. Probably I think not. You can make a case that's they, they could be. They could you be. You make a case. That's where they would be in that 40 to 50, that weird range of you would hope that the top level college football is like 48. Because if you're 48, I think Pitt's in there. If by some chance we're – That was my – that was my first thought. I said around 40 is where I would start thinking about, okay, where's the cutoff here? What teams can we put above Pitt in if that entire conversation? If it's 40, we know Penn State's in there. I don't, I'm not sure Pitt's, Pitt, Pitt, Pitt would be worried. If it's 44, 46, 48. But see, this gets me back. I was going to write this this week. I didn't. And then Dave Jones from the Harrisburg Patriot News wrote it. What if the Big Ten wanted to kick people out? This maybe we should save this for the third segment because I do think this is very interesting in terms of the future of college football. Why the hell does Rutgers just automatically get a seat at the table forever? Because the Big Ten made a ridiculous decision to invite them a few years back. Should Rutgers and, and Maryland and really Purdue and Indiana and Northwestern, should they always have a seat at the table just because they've always been in the Big Ten? Well, I say no, but that doesn't necessarily mean the Big Ten is going to kick Rutgers and Maryland out. But what if the TV networks came and said, hey, Rutgers in Maryland, I'm sorry, not necessarily Maryland, Rutgers in Indiana, we can't sell those games. We want to give you $1.5 billion for your TV package. Rutgers means nothing to us, zero. I mean, if we're saying they wouldn't add Pitt because Penn State already has the Pittsburgh market. Well, would they keep Rutgers if Rutgers doesn't give them anything on their bottom line? You see what I'm talking about, guys? Right. And they get the, the claim is that Rutgers is the New York market. So, you know, and the same thing with Maryland and the DMV. But do you want really do you want those schools in the conference because of where they're located rather than the prestige 
No. And the, the quality of their programs. I don't. If we're talking 40, 44, 48 teams, there's no way Rutgers should get a pass and then Pitt, Pitt's got to work. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the thing, you know. The Pitt comes in and, and, you know, automatically they're probably better than, obviously, Rutgers, Maryland, Illinois. Indiana. Indiana, you know, and probably Northwestern as well. So, you know, is it about prestige? Is it about media market? Like the Big Ten's going to get their money, and it's going to be a lot of money. And it's just what what does what does the Big Ten want? Because at some point, with 14, 16 teams, you can truly be selective if you want to be. But does the Big Ten want to be selective, or do they just want to take up all of the major media markets that they already have? All right, we're getting, with that, we're going to end up, uh, we're going to cut this segment here. We'll come back, kind of wrap things up in our third segment on the We Are podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are podcast. I'm joined by the two Corys on our college beats. Now, we've talked about Pitt and Penn State and where they stand with the fans and the ACC and the Big Ten and all of that. But, man, the times are changing throughout the country when it comes to football with some transfers, with union talks. This is about to be a wild time to be a college football fan and really involved in college athletics, even at the, the young, the, the smallest of levels. I'll tell you what, th- this is potentially bombshell news that came out at the end of the week about the NCAA potentially changing the rule to allow unlimited transfers. I mean, you, you, we, we would have complete and total free agency, guys being able to transfer four or five times, depending on how long they're in school. And I know there's some pushback guys. People say, well, hey, you can do that if you're a biology major at a school. You can trans- Well, you know what? You can't do that in professional sports. You can't just up and leave every single year in the NFL or the NBA. or the- There are contracts. So, to me, I mean, we, if we're talking chaos in the wild, wild west, if, if, it, I don't even say if. It's, gonna, it's going to happen. When we get to this point where these guys can all transfer without having to sit out a year and they can all move every single year, my God, man, I, I, I just cannot envision – what that is going to do. We're going to have 40, 50% of these guys in the transfer portal during the course of their careers. I'll go with what Pat Narduzzi said this week at uh, ACC kickoff. He, he was asked about the potential of this happening and how it was basically rubber stamped. And in the middle of the reporter asking the question, he goes, that sounds like high school football. And he was kind of tongue in cheek about it, but he's also kind of right about it. You know, hey, you know what? You can't even do that in high school football. No, if you move no. from one high school to another, they're not going to let you play. If it's if in a lot of states, if they deem it act or for sports move. No, you got to You got to make some swings about that. I think he said specific state of Florida. But anyway, here's a good point that Narduzzi did make about it. You know, the transfer portal, it can be a place you want to be and it may not be a place you want to be. So if you're going to let kids get in that portal twice and maybe three times, it's going to cause a lot of confusion within the sense of just not just football, but also at the end of the day, this is still college athletics college being the proverbial word here in the, in the prominent word here, these kids are going to get an education at some level. So if you got kids transferring twice, 
three times. How long is it going to take for these kids to get their degrees? And let's be honest, not all these players are going to go to the NFL. It's just the bottom line. It's just how it works. So you're talking slippery slope stuff when it comes to the education side and the academic side of this. So, yeah, like you said, Geyer, I mean, it's just chaos at its best. It's, it's, there's no better time to be a part of college football for that reason and, and covering college athletics for that reason. But now you're talking about free agency. You're talking about kids flipping schools every year. That shouldn't happen necessarily. I mean, we'll see how this all unfolds. It's going to be so crazy to see over the course of this season how it's impacted and, and, and just exactly what people think about it. Yeah, and the thing is, too, if you're transferring two or three times in college, what coach is going to want you at that point? Right? <laughs> Come on, man. If you're if you're well, a high level player, if you're a high level player, then you're not transferring. Sam Sessoms, Sam, uh, that's a basketball player. I mean, he transferred th- two or three times, especially from a basketball standpoint. It'll be less in football, but especially from a basketball standpoint, you you got guys going three times anyway. Right. And once, once you get to a certain point, though, once you get to Duke, you know, Duke, yeah, Carolina, right. yeah. Kansas, Illinois, I mean, where else are you going to go? And even then, you know, people are going to transfer because they're not happy. So and, and we talked about James Franklin re-recruiting and, and, and coaches doing that. So I would imagine there's going to be a mass exodus from the coaching profession to, to an extent because of this, because it's not really coaching anymore. It's solely recruiting. Really, you're your opportunity to coach is going to be on game days because now you've got to manage that roster, make sure everybody's happy. And that's damn near impossible. Oh man. You're talking about recruiting 365 days a year, not just high school, not just the portal, but recruiting every player on your roster every day. And uh, I I just, I think this, I think it's a disaster. I, I, I love college athletics, but the, the, when you combine all of this with the with the NIL and the amount of money that these guys could make if and when they decide to leave, I I, I wrote about the Pandora's box a while back, not thinking we would have a point already so soon with the unlimited transfer. You put these two together, I think it's disastrous for college athletics. The people that are making decisions at the NCAA need their powers revoked because what they're doing to the collegiate model is 100% ruining it each and every day because it's always something new and it's always something that's going to make the product infinitely worse. By the way, uh, commissioner Phillips during his forum the other day said the C word in his speech and that's Congress when talking about NIL. Now imagine him getting Congress and, and seeking out government help with NIL. And now you're talking about transfer rules and all of this other stuff. I mean, you're talking about just the most dynamite explosive just kaboom situation with a lot of a lot of this and you know how does this impact you mentioned recruiting how does this impact the recruiting of players that are going to go to mid-major schools players that are going to go to fcs schools players that are going to play d2 d3 now of course here in in pittsburgh with Pitt and of course penn state we don't have to worry about that but this is all massive trickle down effect as well so we got a long, hard road coming up with this, definitely. My last point is these coaches are going to have to kiss the players' butts on their current roster to make sure they play, to give them everything in the world, all the candy in the world that they want, even though they've got 25 cavities, just to keep them around so that they don't leave. I think that's, I think that's bad. Yeah, I mean, what do you do as a coach? Do you just re-recruit 25 freshmen every year? Or do you just let those guys walk? Or do you like you're it's gonna be just like it was for the one and done's 
in um, like Kentucky and John Calipari and what they did there. Are you going to have to change? You're going to have to change your recruiting strategy. And it'll be interesting to see who adapts and who gets left behind, because that is, I think, going to be the game changer in college athletics. But no, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Looking forward to seeing how this all unfolds. It's crazy right now, though, that it's going to be so crazy going down the road, too. Glad we got the two Corys on here, Jared. Right. It was nice to be a rose between two Corys. So for the Corys and their respective beats, this has been Jared Prugar on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.